Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. Hey guys, why don't you go ahead and take your seats? It's fantastic to see every one of you here at church today. And we know that there's so many of you at home as well joining us online. Well, Becky said we're going to do things a little bit differently today. And she was right, because today we've got Pastor Aaron Cole speaking to us from all the way over in the USA from Life Church, Wisconsin. And let me just say this. Pastor Aaron and his family and his church are incredible friends of Liverpool One Church. They love what we're building here, they love what we're doing here, and they've been incredibly generous to us as a house practically since the beginning of our journey. And it's a real privilege to get the honour of being able to introduce him to you today. And I know that what he's got to speak to us is going to be absolutely incredible because he's a fantastic guy and an amazing friend of ours. But just before we do that, let me just let me just pray because I just believe that God's going to do something incredible in this place today. So let's just pray as I intro Pastor Aaron. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful, God, to you. We're so grateful to you for every good thing that comes into our lives. And Lord, today we want to say as a Liverpool One Church family, both in the room and at home online, that God, we want to right size you. Lord, we want to put your name, Jesus, over all of our troubles, over all of our strifes, over all of our issues, because we've all come into this place from different places today. And we've all got something different going on. But today, Lord, we choose to put your name over it all. And today, we wanna tell you, Jesus, that our hearts are alert and our minds are ready to hear the incredible message that Pastor Aaron is gonna bring to our house. In Jesus' name, amen. It is so great to be with you, Liverpool One Church, and to be able to minister God's Word this weekend. I'm Aaron Cole, and man, do I miss you guys, pray for you, watch you online, follow you on social media, all that great stuff from all the way here in the United States, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Please know that Life Church Wisconsin are praying for you, standing with you, and cannot wait to get there and uh, just to be able to see you in person and be in service with you again. I wanna just give a big shout out to one of my best friends anywhere, your pastors, Luke and Emma Bryant. Tammy and I so love you, Luke and Emma. And uh, again, count you among some of the most favorite and cherished people in our lives. Uh, When God crossed our paths many years ago, Um, little did any of us know what he had in store, but uh, you will never know how much you inspire us, how much you, you're just being who you are, bless us. Um, And uh, just, we think the world of you. And so um, I I hope that you're loving on your pastors during this season and that you are um, showing them God's love as I know they are to you. Well, I, I want to take a couple minutes today and I want to share and I'm, and I'm honored to be able to do this and be able to, to minister God's word with you this weekend in, in this series that you're in. Um, but I want to talk to you about the power of unity. I, I entitled this talk, Perfectly One. 
perfectly one. And so if you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 15, Romans chapter 15, we're going to look at the the first eight verses here in just a minute. Um, The reason why I'm speaking on this is in the world in which we're living in, we've all experienced the same COVID-19 pandemic around the world. And What's interesting is that there are similarities that are happening all around the globe, regardless of of, of geographical or economical or even governmental uh, restraints or restrictions or liberties or whatever. One of those things that you see in our world is this crazy amount of disunity. Uh, From discourse and conversation to to politics to... um, to, to medicine, to, I mean, it's just, there are all these opinions about all these things. Uh, I, I had a, a friend from Brussels call me not too long ago and he said, man, I'm watching the news and, um, and it's just like, it just seems like America has gone crazy. I just think it's the world. I, I think it's it just from fear and frustration and all that's going on. And again, the news, it, it not being disrespectful, but it just kind of bad news sells. And so when there's problems or conflicts or frustrations, that fear, that, that just kind of makes it to the top of the news story. All, all the good things and all the great things and all the kind things, those typically are kind of buried somewhere in the back of the paper. But, but the, new, the, the news stories that make the top of the headlines are something's gone wrong, there's some problem. And so disunity in our world has really bubbled up to the top. And here's the interesting thing. This is where, as a pastor for, for decades now, I, um, I always look for where are the opportunities as a follower of Jesus Christ that I can be a positive influence in the world that I'm in. I, I can be help. I can be salt in a kind of a tasteless world or light in a very dark place. And this issue of unity is one of those things. Now, as we unpack this, we're going to discover several things about unity, what it is and what it's not, how we get it and how we keep it. But you and I have the ability to keep unity, to possess unity. And I think that becomes very much contagious in a good way to a world that feels like it is so disunified and has so lost this virtue. So let's go today to to Romans chapter 15, where Paul reveals the foundation principles of Christian unity. So Romans chapter 15, starting in verse number one, Paul says this to the church in Rome. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Verse two, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up for Christ did not please himself But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction and through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures that we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant. Unity, 
When we talk about unity, we're not talking about uniformity. We're not talking about everybody dressing the same, talking the same, looking the same. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is not you have to be like me or I have to be like you or you have to talk like me or I have to talk like you. Unity is not about uniformity. Second thing I want to say is that you and I do not have the ability to create unity. Only God can do that. Only God can create unity. But you and I have the ability, and quite frankly, as Christ followers, as Paul's written right here in Romans chapter 15, are tasked with the responsibility to keep the unity that God has created. This isn't always easy. Paul will go on to write to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter four, verse three, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. You know, it's interesting because unity is one of those things that's not like easy in the church and it's difficult outside in the world. And right now it doesn't feel like it's easy anywhere. But unity is one of those things that it feels like sometimes inside the church, even with Christ followers, it can be just as taxing as it is outside. Max Licato, the, the uh, American author in a book called A Gentle Thunder, tells a story that kind of illustrates sometimes the lack of disunity that we can have inside the church. Let me read this for you. Some time ago, I came upon a fellow on a trip who was carrying a Bible. Are you a believer, I asked him. Yes, he said excitedly. I've learned that you can't be too careful who you fellowship with. So I began to ask him some questions. Do you believe in the virgin birth, I asked. I do, he said. Do you believe in the deity of Jesus? No doubt, he replied. Could it be that I was face to face with a real Christian brother? Nonetheless, I continued my checklist. Do you believe in the return of Christ? I believe it is imminent, was his response. What about the Bible? It is inspired, was his immediate answer. I was getting excited. Are you a conservative or a liberal? He was getting interested in me too. I'm a conservative, he said. I asked him as my heart began to beat faster, what denomination are you a part of? He said, I'm a member of the Southern Congregationalist Holy Son of God Dispensationalist Triune Convention. That's not a real deal, just in case you didn't know that. I was excited because that was my denomination. And I asked him, which branch of that denomination are you? He said, I'm a part of the pre-millennial, post-tribulation, non-charismatic, King James, one cup communion branch. My eyes missed it over. That was my branch as well. I only had one other question. Is your pulpit wooden or plexiglass? Plexiglass, he replied. I recoiled in horror. Get away from me, you heretic, I said as I walked away. (laughs) I've been in church my whole life and you can't kind of laugh from crying over that little fictitious story, how many times has that played out that not just in the world that we have disunity, but we don't have unity in the church. So unity is something that starts with us. Unity is something that we have to work on as Christ followers. Liverpool one, unity is something that before the city of Liverpool can have unity, you must walk in unity as brothers and sisters in Christ. So how do you do that? You can't create it. You can only maintain it. How do you keep the unity that God's given you? I'm so glad you asked that question. 
Let's go right back to the text. Romans chapter 15. The first thing Paul says is to bear one another's burdens. To bear one another's burdens. Look at verse number one. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So whenever you bear the burden, the joy gets doubled and the pain gets cut in half. Bearing one another's burdens is not about giving prescriptions, but it's about helping to carry the pain of someone else. Notice he says, we who are strong. That word strong means mature, faith-filled, wise, experienced. That we who are strong have an obligation. That word obligation means it's not optional. If you are strong, you're strong not for your own benefit, but for the benefit of the weak, Paul says. Your maturity, your spirit fullness, your walk with Jesus is strong, not because for your own ability, not for your own benefit, but for the benefit of those who are weak in their faith, who are new in their faith, who are immature in their faith. Why? It's the failings of the weak. We're to carry that burden of the failings of the weak. That's the shortcomings, the, the sin. It's kind of like Superman has kryptonite. We all have something. Every one of us have something that we battle with. Every one of us have a weakness. So that when we are strong, we're not called to be the judge or the jury. We're called to bear the burden. How much different would life be if when I saw someone who was struggling, instead of being judgmental, condescending, beating my own chest, talking about how strong I am, when I leveraged my strength to help that person, I leveraged my strength to come in and help carry their burden. I leverage my strength, not as, as something that I'm doing right and they're doing wrong, not in us against them, but a how can I serve you? Because I have strength, let me help you. That's how we keep unity. We bear one another's burdens. Secondly, we build one another up. We build one another up. Look back at verse number two and verse number three. Paul says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up, not for our good. Verse three, for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. What does this look like to build someone else up? Well, the Bible, our example, uh, is to accept the Bible as a source of authority. So we, we believe as Christ followers, we believe as Christians that this is God's word, that we lean so heavily on this book that if it were to move, we would fall. And the truth of it is, is that the Bible is my source becomes my authority in my life. And so it helps me to go, go back to this book. What do I need to do? How do I need to live my life? How do I need to have, what does my attitude need to look like? In any situation, in any place, in any time, I can always go back and open up God's word and God began to speak to me to, through his word to my situation. Now, hidden in this passage of scripture that we, we read earlier is one of the greatest verses in the Bible when it concerns the character and the nature of the Bible itself. Look at verse four. It says this, that for everything that was written in the past, that means the Old Testament, it was written, look at the four things that the Bible does, to teach us, so that it gives us endurance and encouragement of the scriptures so that we might have hope. God's word, every time we go back to it, it teaches us, it gives us endurance, it gives us encouragement, and it gives us hope. 
every single time. I believe that the Bible is God's word and you believe that the Bible is God's word. And because of that, this book becomes a basis of our unity. That's why I'm going back to this passage because we are using the same source of authority. So if you believe that this is God's word and I believe this is God's word, then when we have disagreements, when we have issues, when we are trying to decipher the world in which we live in and determine what we're gonna do, we go back to his word. What does his word say? Now, that doesn't mean that, quite frankly, that you have to believe everything the same way that I believe it. Take, for instance, the second coming. Some people believe that the church will be raptured before there's ever any tribulation, any problems on the earth. Some people believe during the middle of all the chaos that the church will be raptured. Some people believe it's after that. We're gonna be here for the whole thing. Does that take away from Jesus is the son of God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for your sins and for mine and rose from the grave. And if we accept him as the way, the truth and the life that we will be saved? No, it just means that as you read the book of Revelation and I read the book of Revelation, we may interpret it a little bit differently, but it doesn't take away from the essence, the, the nexus, the, the, the centrality of the truth of this book. So therefore, that's okay. You, you may hear something that I say today and kind of go, I need to process that a bit. You, you may hear something that, that Pastor Luke or Pastor, Pastor Emma will say and you go, I, I need to process that a little bit. I, I need, that's okay. Maybe you're here today and you're not even a Christ follower and you're going, man, I'm hearing what you're saying. I'm just needing to totally fine. But as Christ followers, when you become a part of Liverpool One Church or any church, the essence of what you're saying is the Bible is not just a book of history. The Bible is not just, it's not a book of fairy tales. It's the Bible supernatural. There's a difference between this book and the latest novel you just read. Because if you don't believe that the Bible is God's word, if you, don't, if you think the Bible is not historical, if, if you don't really buy into this, if you just think this is just a bunch of fictitious story, fairy tale type stuff, then we can't have unity as Christ followers. Because when we come back, there's no central truth in which we're coming back to, to say, this is what we put our basis upon. It's not my words, it's not your words, it's God's word. It's not your thoughts or my thoughts, it's God's thoughts. It's not your ideologies or my ideologies, it's God's ideology, it's God's theology. That's why the Bible says of itself in verse four, Romans 15, we just read, everything that was written, not just parts of it, Everything that was written is beneficial. Paul will write to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. Every word of this book, God breathed in it, on it, breathed through it, it's alive. Even the Old Testament. If you go back to the, the first Easter evening, as Jesus is walking to, to Emmaus, and there's the two disciples that don't realize who he is in the moment, the Bible says this, and he showed them in all of the scriptures, that's the Old Testament, the things concerning himself. Even when you read the Old Testament, even when you read the Old Testament, if you don't see Jesus there, you're not reading it correctly. He's all there. So what are you saying, Aaron? Here's what I'm saying to you, is that when we build one another up, we use this book. Why do we use this book? Because it becomes the basis of what you believe and I believe. 
We may have some differences of interpretation from here and there, but the, but the essential is what we completely agree upon. The non-essential, we can debate. The essential truths of God's word, that, that God is God, that he created the heavens and the earth, that, that Jesus is Lord, that he's the son of God, that he was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross and rose from the grave, just like the Bible says, that you and I can have relationship with God through Jesus Christ. All of that's the central truth. Those are the non-negotiables of God's word. That's in black and white. It's just there. And so when you believe that and I believe that, we are able to stand upon this word and it brings unity. We're also able to use this word as, as we just read in chapter 15 there, that this book then helps you and I build one another up to encourage, to give endurance, to teach us and to bring hope. That's how we build one another up through God's word. And it's interesting that we use God's word to build one another up. The usage of God's word also brings unity in your life and my life. The third thing that Paul says here is that we welcome one another, that we welcome one another. Let's look, look at verse seven. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So at Liverpool One, we welcome you to a place of salvation. We welcome you to a place of healing. We welcome you to a place of power. We welcome you to a place where the presence of God is alive and well. Everyone's welcome. It's what Luke's gospel says of Jesus in chapter 15. It says, Jesus was a friend of sinners. Every time Jesus encountered someone who was a sinner, someone who was on the outside of the church, so to speak, someone that didn't believe, he loved them even in their sin. He didn't please them. He didn't affirm their behavior. He didn't affirm their sinful behavior. He didn't say, well, it's okay. No, no, no. He just loved them as a person. Love is to see as God sees, that every single person is a child of God. Every single individual has been fearfully and wonderfully made, even if the enemy of their soul has tried to pervert and destroy and, and to distort. There is that child of God that God has a plan and a purpose for. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He, he loved everyone, even in their sin. But he loved them enough not to allow them to stay in their sin. He would call them out of their sin. That was their choice whether they wanted to follow him or not, whether they wanted to reject sin or not. But he would call them out of their sin. He would call them up to the greatness that God had. He would forgive them of their sins. This is one of the things I love about Jesus. He forgives us. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Faithful, he'll do it every single, single time. Just, he has the power and the ability to forgive us of our sins. And then he always gave new life. To the woman caught in adultery, he calls out her accusers. He looks at her and said, woman, where are your accusers? Neither do I accuse you or condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's what it looks like to welcome one another. Welcoming one another doesn't mean that I have to affirm your choice, your lifestyle, your, it doesn't mean that I have to be okay with your sin. No, 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 no. Again, I go right back to this book. I didn't write it. I don't get editorial privilege. I don't get to take a pair of scissors over the parts that I don't like. I don't get to cut out things that I don't, I don't get to deconstruct it. No, this is God's word. But I'm not using this to just kinda to bang you upside the back of the head, to, to hit you upside the head with this. I, I'm using 
the example of Jesus that I'm going to love you. I'm gonna see you as God sees you, even in your sin. And that what the Bible says that that's when he died for us, when yet we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even those of us that are mature and that are experienced and that are strong in our faith, we were all at one point like a sheep gone astray, led by our own ways, our own sinful desires. But yet God in his graciousness and his goodness, he loved us. He loved us enough to call us out of our sin. He loved us enough to bring us up to the level. Every time you hear a pastor or someone preaching God's word and they talk about sin, maybe it's sin that you're dealing with, they're not trying to condemn you. They're trying to say, hey, there's a better way. Hey, you don't have to live that way. Hey, you don't have to be beaten down by that. Hey, you don't have to be bogged down by that. Hey, we love you and love you enough to tell you the truth. And some people go, yeah, yeah, but I just need more grace. But you cannot have grace without truth. If everything is permissible, there's no need for grace. But the truth is, is that I am a sinner in need of a savior and his name is Jesus. And the grace, the unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor of God is that God loved me and you so much that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that if I would just believe in Jesus, that the sin and the condemnation and the guilt and the shame could be lifted and I could live the life that he called me to. But I don't get that grace without truth. And where does that truth come from? God's word. And how should it be delivered? By people acting just as Jesus did, to love one another. And the last thing I wanna hit is this, as we draw everything to a close. Paul says that we serve one another. We serve one another. Look at verse eight. He says, for I tell you that Christ became a servant. When you and I serve, people see Jesus. When you serve the person around you, you know, the word neighbor in the New Testament, that Greek word means the person near you. So neighbor can be someone that lives next door to you. Neighbor can also be someone that you're sharing a sidewalk with. Neighbor can be someone that you're working next to in a factory or, or at a retail center. The neighbor could be the, the barista that's, that's making your coffee for you. The na- neighbor could be uh, someone that's just coming across your path that you're driving alongside on the road, whoever is near you. When we serve our neighbors... When we love our neighbor as we love ourselves, people see Jesus. People just don't see Jesus when we have steeples and stained glass. Nothing wrong with steeples and stained glass, but people don't see Jesus when, when we do worship services necessarily. They don't see Jesus when we wear a cross and jewelry around our neck. People see Jesus when we love the person nearest us. When we operate with compassion to the person nearest us, Why? Because every one of us are about ourselves. That's the reason why the Bible says that we are to love one another as we love whom? Ourselves. Because no one loves you more than you love you. Amen? It's just how you're wired. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's just, but Jesus knew that. And he said, man, if you will love people, if you'll love the person nearest you, the way you love yourself will change the world. 
That's what we do when we serve people. Look at this, John chapter 17. Listen to these words, verse 22 and 23. It says, the glory that you have given me, Jesus says, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. And I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. The oneness, the unity that you and I have, Jesus prayed for. That's John recording his prayer. The one prayer that Jesus prayed for the church was that we would be one. Not that we would be full, not that we would have multiple services, not that we would have multiple campuses, not that we would have raise so much money for missions, not that we would do whatever, have so many people in life groups or small groups or, no, 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 no. He just prayed one prayer. Father, that they would be one as you and I are one. And if the world sees the unity that you and I have, that they have the ability to possess, it'll change the world. So today, in all the craziness and all the chaos, even as this global pandemic is coming to an end. Liverpool One, Church of Jesus Christ, I think one of the greatest things you and I can do is walk in unity, to be perfectly one as Jesus and the Father are one. And we're gonna do that by committing to bear one another's burdens, even in weakness, to build one another up on the basis of God's word, to welcome one another as family, because that's what we are. That's what you are. Even across the pond, I in the United States, you in, in the UK, we're one, we're family. And to serve one another just as Christ has served us. That's my prayer for you today. That's my prayer for the church of Jesus Christ in this season, that we will be one as Jesus and the Father are one. And in doing that, we'll change our world for Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.